You know, I remember the very first time someone said to one of my children, you look like your father. <laughs> it kind of uh, shocked me when I heard it. It took me by surprise. But I quickly recovered and uh, said to the child, don't worry about it. I'm sure you'll grow out of it. I'm sure you will end up looking more like your mom than me. And what distressed me was that maybe people were saying that to my kids when I wasn't there to help them to deal with the shock. (laughs) Kidding aside, it is interesting, isn't it? And it's even fun when you realize you're seeing the parent in the child. I remember when my brother's children were born, every one of them, I'm sure they must have favored their mother in some way, but all I could see in them was my brother. And I just thought that was the neatest thing. It was just so cool, uh, especially because I love my brother so much. As they grew, I I saw more and different things. I mean, his oldest daughter today, for instance, just reminds me of my mom. She has those same high cheekbones and that great smile. But it's not just in the appearance that you can see a parent in the child. You see it, too, sometimes even more so in their actions, in the things they do and say. Fairly early on in adulthood, just about everyone, I don't know if there are any exceptions, but people will say or do something, and then it will come over them like a broken wave of the ocean sweeping up and across the beach that they were at that moment just like their mom or dad. (laughs) And sometimes this thing in which they were such a reflection of their parent turns out to be the one thing mom or dad did that they swore as a child that they would never do, and there they are doing that very thing. Yeah, most of you know what I'm talking about here. It's not surprising either that whole families uh, share traits. (laughs) You know, the Dyson sense of humor is notorious in some places. Uh, My wife used to laugh at my jokes, and now, bless her, she endures them pretty much with a good humor. I can hardly ever get her to fall for any of my jokes anymore, but I just keep trying. And in my defense, all I can say is it's not my fault. I came by it honestly. It is an inherited irritant. <laughs> and that's the thing. You see, no one uh, chooses these peculiarities. They are already have them when they're born. That's a family trait that comes from your ancestors. And Christians, too, as believers, have family traits. Traits they didn't choose. They didn't choose them. They came uh, when we were born again. Traits that didn't come from our ancestors, but from our Heavenly Father. Traits which every believer has because the Holy Spirit lives in them. There are three of them which we, uh, all of us who know Christ, share. And that's faith, hope, and love. Every born-again child of God is instilled with those things. They are identifying marks of the believer. And last week, we talked about hope. And I put that first because it seems to be a commodity which is so lacking in our time. And it's good for us to remember, too, that the hope that we have in us is visible to those on the outside. For we are instructed to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks about the reason for our hope. 
It's a family trait that people can say. And then the family trait of faith, I want to save for last, because it may be the least uh, best understood. And, and, and what we say about these other two traits, I think, might help us as we talk about that. Uh, one message for each of these three things is putting a lot of truth into a short time together. But then this isn't the only time that we ever talk about them. Their influence, faith, hope, and love, has felt often any time the word is shared. So today we're going to talk about love. And the word tells us that um, of the three, it's the greatest. We certainly won't be able to say all there is to say about it. Um, we want to what we want to try to do today is, is to understand, at least to begin to understand, how that trait matters both to us and to others. So, just as it was with hope, we don't manufacture love. Not somehow, not from somewhere deep within our being. And, and we don't uh, patch it together out of bits and pieces from within our own broken hearts so that we can love. No, the, the kind of love we're talking about, Christian love, you, you sometimes hear it referred to as agape love, comes to us from God as the following passages tell us. Uh, hope does not make us, to put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And we love because he first loved us, and the Lord directs your hearts in God's love. Now, I want you to think for a moment uh, of the pictures and drawings. Maybe you've even actually seen one of some types of wells. You know, wells, uh, those places in days gone by where people would go to get water. Uh, the one I'm thinking about is kind of circular. Maybe it's three to five feet wide, uh, maybe three feet tall. It's made out of brick or stone, and it's usually roofed over, right, with a little peak and shingles on each side. And that roof covers over a, a, a bucket that's hanging from a hand-cranked winch, right, that's placed at the center of that uh, that well, and, and they're often used to depict wishing wells, and many of those, of course, are, are just mere reproductions, but, but they're based on a real structure from which people really can draw water. And so you, you let that bucket down, and it splashes when it hits the water at the bottom, and then you crank it back up again, and it's full with water. You have your water then, right? But if you pick up that, that assembly... That, that stone and that roof, and you move it even just five feet over and set it back down on the ground again, you can drop that bucket all you want. It won't go far, nor will there be any water when you crank it back up again. You see, the water doesn't come from that little edifice. It comes from somewhere else. By itself, that little bit of engineering gives you nothing. And before God came into our lives, we were like that. We were dry wells. But God has poured out his love into our hearts, and there is a never-ending well of love to draw from. Now, I don't mean by that at all to imply that only Christians love. Uh, we, we know better than that. We can see the evidence when we look around. All people still bear the image of God, though it's distorted and marred. And yet, because of that image, people love their children. 
They love their friends. Maybe they even love their nation. And I don't want to denigrate that at all. But it's important for us to understand that such love, as, as glad as we are for it, is a shadow or a reflection or a hint or an impression of a much greater love, which is God. You know, he loved us when there was nothing in us to love, when we were still his enemies. Without him, our love is just kind of more like a shadow, but with him, it's as solid as a rock. Love, wherever it is found, is a reflection of God's love, but Christian love, love poured out into a believer is from God. It's God's love flowing through us and in us. And it's strong and it's powerful. It's not just a shadow, but it's the real thing, as we're going to see as we look further. So it's a family trait, and that's a characteristic that is so strong and prevalent that not only can other Christians see it, but those on the outside can see it too. That's what Jesus told the twelve on uh, all nights, the night he was betrayed. Uh, and, and through them, he tells us also, as John records it for us, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, now setting aside for a moment, the command that we're to love, which we're going to come back to shortly. Note what Jesus says here. He tells us that you, the love you and I have for one another, the love we have for our fellow Christians and they have for us is a powerful, convicting force in our world which acts upon those who are on the outside, convincing them that we really are what we say we are that we're followers of Jesus Christ. The love we have for one another is clearly a family trait, and those on the outside can see it. Now, do you remember that story from the Old Testament about the two women who lived together, who each had a baby about the same time? And then one night, something awful happened. One of the women in her sleep rolled over on top of her child And when she woke up in the middle of the night, she discovered that her baby had died. And so she got up quietly and she took her dead child, her dead baby, and laid it next to the other mother and then took the living baby into bed with her. And in the early morning light, loud cries rang out as one mother found that lifeless body next to her. But she soon realized as the light grew to her immense relief that it was not her child. And she knew right away what had happened. The two of them ended up before Solomon. No one else was able to determine which person that baby belonged to. And Solomon himself acknowledged it was the word of one against the other. And so he called for a sword. And he ordered that that baby should be cut in half and each woman should have a share. And the one woman was all for it. But the mother, she was willing to give up her whole child to spare that baby's life. It it was the mother's love in her that revealed who she was. She was the mother of the baby. The other woman was a posture. She loved that baby. You couldn't hide it. Everyone then knew. 
and the love believers have for one another, that's like that. It reveals to the world that we belong to Jesus Christ and the evidence is undeniable. Now here's the thing. The love, God's love, is in us. But we have to participate in it. And that's why Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another. You see, unless we participate, the water stays in the well. But what does it mean that we participate in God's love? Well, in some ways, you might think of it, if we change the analogy a little bit, think, think of it as turning on the faucet in your kitchen, right? Maybe you lift the handle or you turn the knob at home and the water comes out, right? Uh, we don't make the water, right? We, we just let it out. <laughs> but it's not quite all there, all there is to it, is it? I mean, it's important to remember that the source, uh, that our love flows from God but there's more to it than even that. So the picture becomes a little bit clearer. If you think of the person who needs that water, the one you turn that tap on for, as sitting on the other side of the room, and so you have to get a cup, and you have to fill it, and you have to carry that water over to that table where that person is sitting on the other side of that room. You turn on the faucet, the water's running, you get the cup, you fill it, you carry it over, right? That's how you participate in the love of God, which is in you. You take that love to others. You do what needs to be done in order to love them. Now, there's even more to be said. You know, our heart, yours and mine, well, that's kind of like the valve which turns the water on and off. If God's love is to flow to others, it's going to flow through us. And for that to happen, we have to be willing and willing to accept the changes God's love demands of us. See, God's love always changes us. I'd like metal plunged into the fire until it glows. God's love is always changing us. And although I know, you all know this already, I, I can't help but saying it. Loving someone is not the same thing as liking them. <laughs> uh, love, love means doing the best for another person, no matter the cost to you, and often in spite of that other person. So now you don't have to like them. But things are completely out of whack. If someone of you ever says, well, I'll love them, but I'll never like them, Something's wrong there. Something's missing. As soon as you open the door to really loving someone, you open the door to liking them too. And the truth is, in the long run, those two things are going to coincide. It's only in this lifetime, because of sin, that sometimes they don't. So if you can't like someone, you still have to love them. But if you love them, you better be prepared to like them. Because God is at work in your life. So Christian love is, is love that's poured out to the believer from God. It's God's love flowing in us and through us. And the love we have for one another identifies us to everyone, even to unbelievers, that we are indeed followers of Christ. Now, the expectation that Christians ought to love each other 
and that such love uh, identifies us as a Christian is surprise, probably surprises no one, though it needs to be said, and, and we need the reminders. But this family trait where God's love is in us and flows of, of us isn't just for the family. Because God loved us before we were family. He, he loved us when we were still enemies. Romans says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And a few verses later, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. That's God's kind of love. And so that family trait means that we love even our enemies. Listen to what Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. You, you see, that is what the Father's children do. They are like the Father who causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we have to be good even to those who are not, even to our enemies. And then Jesus asked this question. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Yeah, they are. <laughs> because of the echo of God's love in them that is yet in them, but that's all they're doing. And if you greet other people um, that are your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Yeah, again, of course they do. But all of that falls short of God's love. We're called to a higher as well as a different standard. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And what that means is we love everybody, even our enemies. You see, we're still part of the family. We still have the family traits, even when we're in the presence of our enemies. You remember that, uh, that cartoon, Pepe Le Pew? <laughs> and Pepe was a skunk, and everywhere he went, he gave off this faint odor, and, and it was depicted by these little swirls that were drawn near his tail, right? And in those cartoons, Pepe was love-struck, not with another skunk, no, but with a jet-black cat that had walked under some white paint while it was still wet and had given herself a racing stripe down her back, and Peppy was smitten. And the cartoon centered on uh, Peppy's pursuit, uh, persistent pursuit of the resistant pinstripe feline <laughs> until that cat was finally able to wash off the white paint and get back to her natural color. And if you know the story, uh, Peppy wasn't so easily deterred. He found some black paint and covered over his white stripe and continued to chase. But that cat with the white stripe was still a cat. And that skunk without his markings was still a skunk. And nothing outside of us can change who we really are. God's Spirit lives in us if we belong to Him. That God who loves even His enemies. Nothing out there can change that. Now, because of sin, we resist it. 
We, we try to cover it up. We, we paint it out. We, we're often afraid of what it's going to mean. And yet, as long as we deny it, we harm our own hearts and we hurt others. But nothing can change. Nothing we can do can change who we really are if we're a child of the king. The telltale mark is always there. I, I know I've told you this story before, but it... It bears repeating. Uh, It's not really so uncommon, though the details of this particular story stand out. Uh, A a number of Christians, this happened maybe a year, a year and a half ago, maybe two years, I lose track of time, but they were captured by the Islamic State, and those Christians knew they were going to die. And one of them handed his Bible to his guard, and he said, you know, I know you're going to kill me, but I want you to have my Bible. And the guard took it, and not long after that, he killed the man who gave it to him. Now, we know that because that guard began reading God's Word. And he came under conviction so strong that he left the Islamic State, and he went looking for someone to help him to become a Christian. It was God's love. It's our family trait which motivated that unnamed Christian to give that guard his Bible. But you have done that. You know, we don't have enemies like that. I mean, not in our day-to-day lives. Maybe none of us will ever be put to in such a, an extreme situation. But that doesn't mean there aren't those who we need to love. Maybe we don't call them enemies, but they're hard to love. The grumbling, complaining co-worker, the inveterate, slothful relative who always has a hand out, the fellow Christian whose life always seems to be so full of drama of their own making. There are those who you don't want to love, you want to shake them. And maybe shaking them would help but not until you can love them as they are. So even though we may not have real enemies that want to take our lives, we can practice on these. It's in our spiritual DNA to love the unlovable because the Spirit of God lives in us. So Christian love is from God. It's God's love flowing in us and through us. And the love we have for one another identifies us to everyone as followers of Jesus Christ. And that trait is so real and strong that we can, like our Heavenly Father, we can love even our enemies. And it is also by the means of this heavenly attribute that we are enabled to live as citizens of the kingdom because when we love, We keep the law. So listen to this exchange between an expert in the Jewish law and Jesus. And the expert asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Living our life in God's love fulfills the law. It's how we live as the citizens of the kingdom. 
Now, I know you've all seen the bumper sticker, and you've heard the cliche which says, if you don't vote, you don't have a right to complain. <laughs> uh, there may be some truth to that, but I am sure it never stopped anyone from claim, complaining when they were unhappy or when they had to pay their taxes whether they voted or not. What it does is it illustrates for us that something that we all know, innately we understand that there are certain duties and obligations which attach to life in general. And when it comes to nations, we have to be good citizens, which means in democracies or republics, we ought to vote. And if we apply that truth to the spiritual realm, then we know we're part of God's kingdom. And the kingdom has its laws, which honestly, none of us can keep. And those laws, those rules of the kingdom, they apply to all people no matter what because God created them too. So even those who are running from God are still under his law. But we are in a different place. We're not like those on the outside. You see, we're in a different place so that if we set our, uh, our minds on keeping those laws, those rules and regulations, if we type up the list and begin to check them off day in and day out, we find ourselves merely tallying up all of our defeats. But if instead we set out to love others, and we do so, and we try, we love them, we try to love them, and what we find we're doing, we begin to discover, we begin to succeed. And we go from one success to the other. And our failures, because we still fail and we still sin, but our failures may depress us, but they don't incapacitate us because we're learning to walk in love. The law was put into place to protect people, to steer them away from those things which destroy. It's for lawbreakers. It's for sinners. But life didn't begin that way. Life was meant to be one continual expression of love for God and love for others. Sin got in the way. It threw a monkey wrench into the works. It messed everything up. And so God gave a law to hold us back, to restrain us from rushing headlong into destruction until he could put his spirit into us so that we could begin living in love again. I mean, we all sin. We all fail. That's the way it will be until we're face to face with Jesus. But our sins and failures are never quite so deep and dumbfounding when we're trying to walk in love. I can tell you from my own experience rules won't get you very far love will take you all the way home so christian love is god's love flowing through us and in us the love we have for one another identifies us as followers of christ that real love in us our heavenly father's love in us means we can love our enemies and that love in us that living out that love is how we live as citizens of the kingdom the power of our spiritual DNA, the muscle and the sway of this family trait makes all of that possible. And though we've been saying it all along, let me state it clearly now for all to hear and heed. God's love in us changes us. 
We are not the same because of God's love. Uh, you know, there are any number of different passages which teach this truth, and um, I just want to read one of them. Paul writes these words to the Christians at Ephesus. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's God's love which changes us. It fills us up with all the fullness of God. So now, if you decide next year, you didn't do it this year, but next year you decide you're going to plant a garden and you've never had one before. Uh, you're likely you're going to go out and buy a nice pair of gardening or work gloves, right? And it's as nice and necessary as those gloves are, right? Uh, I'll tell you what they won't do for you. They won't plant your garden for you. Or you can take them out and you can lay them down on that spot where you want your garden to be and you can walk away and come back a week later but you still won't have a garden. You see, those gloves all by themselves are quite useless. They can't do anything but sit there by themselves. But once you put them on, why they can do anything you can do. And they have all the strength that you have. See, without God, we're, we're, we're kind of like an empty pair of gloves. But with God, we can do anything he wants us to do. We can do it with his strength. God in us. God's love in us. We're not the same because of that. And his love continues to change us. And yet, we're not exactly like a pair of gloves either. Now, a pair of gloves, a glove will always be a glove. It will never become a hand, but we're different. Things are different with us. We are a hand or whatever we are, because we're a part of the body of Christ. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I think we feel so often like an empty shell. But God is in us and molding us and shaking, shaping us, and we actually already are a hand, uh, if that's a part of the body we are. And, of course, we're speaking metaphorically, but what a glorious truth it is. But even though we, we already are a hand, maybe it would be helpful for us to... Um, since we're still so weak and sinful, if we were to think in terms of being in the process of becoming a hand, or whatever it is that God made us to be, you see, the change in us, this becoming what we really already are, is a result of the love of God working in us. God loves, God's love works out of us into the things we do, and it works in us to change us, making us into the people we were meant to be. So let me say it again. I'm going to summarize all that we've said so far. Christian love, God's love flowing in us and through us, results in love for one another that identifies us as followers. It's God's love in us so we can love even our enemies and that love in us changes us and fulfills us and completes us. That kind of love, that family trait, is who we are. And it shows in all we do because of who we are. 
the fig tree bears figs and the olive tree bears olives and the Christian, the believer, loves because God's love is in us. Now, there's just one last thing that I want to say this morning, and, uh, and there's much more that would be said, but I'm going to be very brief here. And I want to remind you, as we close our time together, that God's love is both now and forever. Here's what the Bible says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered to be sheep, as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God's love is both now and forever. Left to ourselves, you and I don't measure up. We know our sins and our failures, our lapses, our indulgences of our sinful nature. We know there's times when we could have loved, but we, when we could have done good, but we didn't. We know the things that are still rattling around in our souls. We know that in us, in our flesh, there's no good thing. And yet, once we belong to God, once we've heard that call and answer, once we have been saved, once the work has begun in us, he has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. He has promised to continue that good work in, that he began in us. He is building his church, which will last forever. And he, God, has poured out his love in us. He is building us, you and me, and every child of his, on the solid foundation of his love in us. And that which God builds stands forever. To God and God alone be the glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for loving us so much. Lord, we had no hope. There was nothing that we could do. There was nowhere we could go, nothing we could find, no one who could come to our rescue. Were we to search the entire universe, we could have found nothing to take care of our sin. We were right objects of wrath. But you loved us and you sent your son. And he came into our world and he took all of our sins, all the sins of all the people of all the world, of all time, in his body on that tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. You loved us. You continue to love us. And our Savior was raised from the dead. He's coming again someday. And in the meantime, you put your spirit in us. And by him, we live the life you've called us to. We are people of love. We are your people. Strengthen us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.